You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hello, everyone. I am Lauren Barr, the VP of Finance at Occupier. Thank you for tuning into the Fully Occupied podcast. Today, I sat down with Dave Ribbon, the founder of VIO, and discussed the impairment process for leases. This isn't a new concept. However, since the majority of leases are now required to be on the balance sheet, creating an impairment process will be important for companies operating in a post-ASC 842 world. I appreciated his insight on breaking down the steps of the impairment process and what companies typically get hung up on. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Dave. Thank you so much for joining our Fully Occupied podcast today on simplifying the impairment process for leases. I'm incredibly excited to have you on today. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, of course, of course. I'm particularly excited about this session because I don't feel like there's a lot of topic or a lot of content out there for this particular topic because it is so new that you wouldn't have to consider impairing leases until 842 and IFRS 16. And so especially excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, before we jump into the nitty gritty of the impairment process, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yes. Yeah, so, so real quick shout out to Joe Talley and our friends at SOA Projects for making the introduction and connecting us together. Uh, I'm very excited to, to be talking with you right now. Uh, so I'm Dave. I am the partner and founder of Valuations IO. Uh, I've been providing valuation opinions and advisory services for 23 years, which has been the entirety of my professional career. I spent the first 10 years at Deloitte in their San Francisco valuation practice. And then a group of us spun out and formed a boutique, boutique valuation firm and uh, provided valuation services. That firm uh, was acquired last year, and in the process, I spun out yet again to start my new venture, Valuations.io. Oh, that's awesome. So quite the journey so far. So what does uh, your new firm specialize in? We specialize in valuing entire businesses as well as pieces of businesses. And by pieces, what I'm referring to are different elements of the corporate balance sheet. So if you if you picture sort of the, the textbook balance sheet equation, assets equals liabilities plus equity, over the last 15 years or so, the, the FASB has had a movement for companies to report more and more of the balance sheet at fair value. And uh, part of that is not only marking certain accounts to fair value, but incre increasing the disclosures to investors about uh, fair value measurements. So what VIO specializes in is working with clients to value all those different elements at fair value. So on the asset side, for example, we'll measure leases and ROU assets at fair value when it's necessary. For intangible assets, we'll value things like technology, uh, customers and trade names and goodwill uh, at their fair value. On the liability side, we'll measure debt instruments and convertible notes and uh, contingent payments at fair value. And on the equity side, we value common stock, preferred stock, options, and warrants. 
Wow. So it sounds like you guys do quite enough to keep you busy. Certainly. We sure do. Yeah. And so leases is just one element of the entire balance sheet, right? So what are, in your mind, the typical steps in assessing whether or not a lease has been impaired? Yeah. So the first thing to understand is that the impairment testing for leases falls under ASC 360. And 360 is the guidance put out by FASB that that goes through the steps for uh, impairing and disposing long live assets. And leases and their associated RU assets are considered long live assets. So 360 lays out four simple steps for going through the impairment process. Uh, step one is to first determine whether there is an indicator of impairment. No indicator, no need to do the impairment test. So if you have an indicator, then you go on to the second step. The second step is to determine the appropriate unit of account that you're going to use in your impairment test. Once you have a unit of account, you go to the third step, which is to measure if the unit of account is recoverable by that asset undiscounted cash flows. If it's recoverable, you stop, you have no impairment. If it's not recoverable, then you move on to the fourth and final step, which is measuring the amount of the impairment. And that is based on fair value principles. Yeah. Wow. So it seems like step by step, if you pass the first step, you go on to the next step, see if you pass again, go on to the next step and so on and so forth. And so starting with that first step with the with the if there's an indication of an impairment, what are some common indications that a lease has been impaired that you've seen? Sure. So several come to mind. The first is if there's been a change to the physical condition of the underlying asset to the lease. So a common example here is if you have, say, a warehouse and it has not been properly maintained and is getting old and you have an expense outlay to bring it up to code or to remedy some sort of safety situation, that would be an indicator of a potential impairment to the lease itself. Uh, Associated with that is if you suffer some sort of natural disaster. If this warehouse is located in southern Florida and you have a hurricane that comes through and damages part of the warehouse, then that would be an indicator that the the lease associated with that facility would be impaired. Uh, Other common examples would be if the market prices for the assets have decreased uh, in time. So imagine you've got an office building in a central business district in downtown San Francisco and you're leasing 10 floors of the building. And you've noticed that several of your neighbors have moved out and vacancy rates are up and the asking price for rent near you are substantially below what you're paying. That would be an indicator that the market has softened since you've entered your lease and that there could be an impairment. Uh, Another example would be if you're using the lease in a different manner than you intended when you first entered into it. Uh, that would be a, a, an indicator of impairment. A common example here is you've entered a building lease and you were using 10 floors. You've now had a reduction in force and you're only using eight. So you vacated two floors. You've changed the manner in which you're using the underlying asset. That would be an indicator of impairment. And another one that is quite common for our publicly listed clients is their stock price. So auditors will keep an eye on their stock price and they usually have some sort of threshold. And when the stock price drops to that threshold, they'll ask the, the management teams to perform impairment testing on all long light assets and indefinite light assets. So that would include the, the lease, the leases and RU, RU assets. 
Wow. So it seems like broad spectrum. There's a lot of different types of impairment indicators uh, alongside the operational side, but also the business. And so that's really helpful. It seems like you've got to be taking a very complete analysis of, of what's going on with the business. Um, and so of the four steps in the impairment process that you laid out before, what are some of the different significant assumptions that your clients need to make throughout that impairment assessment? Sure. So the, the, the recoverability test is probably one of the most involved aspects. And the, the critical assumption there is what is the proper unit of account? And it's not very straightforward. The unit of account could be a single lease. It could be a group of leases. It could be a segment of the overall business that include other assets of the business, like technology and products and customers and things like that. Or it could be the entire business. So the first assumption that management needs to make is what is the proper unit of account? If that unit of account includes a group of assets, so it's not just a single asset, then they need to make a further assumption, which is which is the primary asset of that group. Once they have the primary asset, they then need to make an assumption as to what's the remaining useful life of that primary asset. The remaining useful life becomes important because that's going to set the length of time that you measure the undiscounted cash flows in order to do the recoverability test. So in the recoverability test, you're looking at what's the carrying value of your asset. And if we take an example here, let's assume that you've got a single lease that has a carrying value of $100. And you're trying to measure whether that lease is going to produce enough cash flows over its useful life. And let's assume that's five years. Uh, if the, you, so you would look at the five years of cash flows and you would, you would quantify the value there if that amount was $120, for example, that exceeds the carrying value, you would say there's no impairment. If you summed up the undiscounted cash flows and it was less than your carrying value of $100, let's say that summed up to $80, that would then be an indicator of impairment and you would move on uh, to, to the next step, which is the fair value measurement. Um, the, another sort of critical assumption in the recoverability test is the level of cash flow itself which is probably the most involved part for a company. Uh, it's, it's common that a company might have a one-year budget or a two-year budget, but if you're dealing with a lease that's got five years of remaining life, you might need to forecast cash flows for the next five years, and that information not, may not be readily available. Right. And so just to double tap on one of those points, so on the unit of account, are those things changing year over year or are those more standardized? They absolutely can change year over year, but I would say for a typical company, they're more standardized. And the first time a company goes through the impairment process for their leases, they will work through with their valuation specialists and their auditors what the unit of account should be. And then in following years, if there's another triggering event or an impairment indicator where they've got to go through the same step, assuming the composition of the business and the assets hasn't changed that much, it would probably be a similar unit of account. But mm -hmm. we, certainly between companies, there's a huge amount of variability between what company what one company would consider the proper unit of account and what another company would consider the proper unit. Gotcha. Yeah. That seems like super foundational in this assessment is figuring out what you're going to value and what you're going to compare it against. Uh, so that's interesting in that it, it has the flexibility to change year over year. Unless you're super mature, I'm sure that's more standardized. Um, 
So in your experience, what are some of the common pitfalls you have seen during the impairment assessment? Sure. So the, the most common one is getting the unit of account wrong. And you, you, you can avoid that by involving your auditors in discussion very, very early on. So the guidance itself isn't super clear on what is the prescribed unit of account. And we've seen companies think that maybe it's a single lease and then they'll go through the forecasting process for that one lease and they'll go through the whole test and then they'll have a conversation with the auditors. The auditors say, no, we, we, we think you've got the unit of account wrong. We think it should be a collection of assets that you should be valuing as a unit of account, in which case you've got to rip up all the work that you've done and start over. And I would say that's the most common frustration point of doing uh, impairment testing uh, under 360 uh, including for leases, is just getting that unit of account right. And our recommendation is always when we're talking with clients, we come up with a proposal on what we think is the proper unit of account, or maybe there, there's two proposals, A and B. And then we say, let's talk with your auditors. Let's make sure they're on board early in the process. Sometimes we'll talk to them and they'll say, yep, that sounds great. Go ahead and proceed. Sometimes we'll talk to them and say, no, we, we have sort of a preference here. We'd rather you go with option C. Here's what option C looks like. And then you avoid having to do a lot of rework if you know that up front. Yeah, definitely. I mean, something so foundational, you want to make sure you have buy-in from every stakeholder, especially the one that tells you if you did it right or not, your auditors at the end of the day. Uh, it's interesting for the unit of account, you know, how likely is it for someone, let's say that they have 50 leases, all very similar retail leases, how common would it be to do it on an individual lease by lease basis versus doing it on a portfolio wide? Because I'm going through in my mind, gosh, if you had a unit of account at the lease level basis, you now have to do 50 impairment analysis versus, you know, just maybe one or maybe grouping it into geographical locations. Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it comes down to an accounting interpretation and I would say many companies would not do it the same way and many auditors would not do it the same way. And the, the, the language in ASC 360 talks about the, the lowest level of identifiable cash flows for which, the, for which the cash flows are largely independent of each other. So in your example where you've got 50 re retail locations, if the cash flows of those 50 retail locations are very closely linked, then you might say, okay, we've got one portfolio of leases that we're gonna test. If each of the retail locations was in its own geography and they had their own customer base and you management tracked the financials for each one separately and can identify cash flows associated with each lease, you probably have 50 units of account and you would probably test each one separately. Now, the good news there is it might it might minimize your amount of impairment because you might only have one lease out of the 50 that has an issue so you would only be impairing that you did it as a as a whole collection there might be risk that the impairment amount could be larger in aggregate hey always seeing the bright side of things <laughs> more work less impairment <laughs> uh, that's a great point uh and could you, I guess, if you segregated it into 50 different leases in that example, you could go, you could pass step one for 45 of them and really only go to step two and beyond for maybe five. That's exactly that could still work. Uh, versus if it was all for one, then you, it truly is all for one. 
Uh, I swear every time I talk to you, I learn something new and this is amazing. Uh, learning more about impairments, especially how it impacts the lease accounting process. Um, but we are up to our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Good, 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 good. Okay, I know you're an outdoor enthusiast. So if you had to choose one, hiking trails or ski slopes? Hiking trails. Interesting. What's your favorite hike? I do a lot of hiking here in San Francisco up at Mount Tam uh, in Marin. And I would say those are my favorite local hikes. Oh, awesome. Gosh, that sounds amazing. Uh, what's your favorite part of living in the Bay Area? I would have to say the diversity of the people and the diversity of the restaurants. Mm, not the hills. <laughs> I don't mind the hills, uh, especially if you've got a vehicle to, to navigate them. But uh, yeah, I would I would say that the restaurant quality out here is absolutely amazing. Yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Ah, uh, that is true. That is true. Cats or dogs? Dogs, 100%. Good, good. I was going to say, <laughs> you've met Riley, and so you know how I feel about this. Uh, and last but not least, who are two people we should invite onto the podcast next? Uh, two people come to mind, both audit partners that deal with impairment accounting and, and both happen to be at KPMG, Dave Miller and Jeff Allen. Oh, awesome. Yes. I would love an introduction to them and keep the impairment uh, content just pumping over here. A absolutely. They would be uh, quite insightful and would bring a, a very fresh perspective on some of the different yeah. in the impairment testing. Yeah, definitely. It's always helpful to get an auditor's opinion as well. Cool. Sure. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast uh, this afternoon. Like I mentioned, it's always amazing talking to you. I learn something every single time I talk to you. And so thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Lauren. Very much appreciate it.